welcome to Ed Leader with your host, Dr. Rob Jackson. Join Dr. Jackson for conversations and reflections on improving educational leadership from the classroom to the boardroom and beyond. Educational leadership is an ever-evolving opportunity to make a real and lasting difference in the lives of students, parents, and the community. And now, here's your host, Dr. Rob Jackson. Hi friends, this is Rob Jackson. Welcome to another episode of Ed Leader. It seems often we hear of the comparison between the business world and education. As educators, we tend to rebel against that comparison. We say things like, look, we're not in the business of building or selling widgets. We're in the people business. Our profession exists to help children reach their maximum potential. Student success is the outcomes that we're looking for. And so that comparison of business and education really fails on many fronts. That's not to say, though, that some comparison isn't good and that there aren't some takeaways for both the business community comparing itself to education and for the education community comparing itself to the business world for process improvement. Perhaps one of those areas is when we look at our outcomes. It seems to me the business community does a pretty good job of looking down the road surveying consumers, whether that's based on market reports and how much of the widgets have been sold that month, or actually sitting down in a focus group to ask consumers about their use of the widget and whether it held up over time, they do a pretty good job with that end-user satisfaction beyond the point of sale. For educators, perhaps the comparison is sitting down with former students, students who've graduated and gone on to the next steps in life and asking them questions about how did your education, your K-12 education, prepare you for your next steps? Did it meet your needs? Were you satisfied? What about your education was really good? What didn't work so well? On today's episode, I'm sitting down with two public school graduates, two students who attended elementary, middle, and high school in the state of North Carolina are products of the public schools of North Carolina and ask some questions about their experience and how their experience prepared them. The first is a sports broadcaster. He's the host of Sports Call 93.9 WTGZ in Auburn, Alabama, a daily radio call-in show. In addition, he works as a play-by-play announcer for the Auburn Sports Network and the SEC Network Plus. He is my son, Joshua Jackson. Welcome, Joshua. Hey, Dad. Thanks for having me. Sitting across the table from Joshua is a senior at the University of Tennessee in Knoxville. He's a business analytics and marketing major who's one semester away from graduation and certainly looking forward to that big day. I'm excited to introduce you to my youngest son. His name is Elijah. Welcome, buddy. Hello. Both these young men are, one, a graduate from the college level, another just about to be a graduate. I wanted to take a few moments to talk with them about their high school experience, uh, really kind of dig into what helped them be so successful in college and what they might have wished to have had or had happened while they were in high school. 
let's start with a kind of an easy question. Guys, as you think about teachers that you really enjoyed in high school, for example, or even K-12, teachers that you really enjoyed being in their classes, what were the characteristics of those teachers? You don't have to name them by name, but what's a the characteristic of a teacher you really enjoyed being in class with? I'll go ahead and get us started here, Dad. Um, I had a teacher my senior year who taught my English class, who was my favorite teacher I had in any of my K-12 classes. And I think what made her my favorite and the one that I was most willing to do work for was the fact that that you could tell that she wanted to have a relationship with her students and genuinely cared about how we were doing in the classroom and just how we were doing as people. And I think it's easy as students, and I think this might get overlooked for us to tell when a teacher's been doing something for 30 years and they have their plan and they're just going to do it and get kids through the class because that's their job. But when you have a teacher that stops and actually develops relationships especially as a high schooler and you're older and you're a little more perceptive to people's emotions. I think feeling like you have a friend teaching the class rather than a man or lady that's just been doing the same thing for 25 years. I think that's what really distinguishes her in my mind. Absolutely. And, you know, thinking about that, you mentioned the word relationship. What was it that she did? Can you think of specific examples of how she or he showed you that they really desire to have a relationship with you? I think the main thing that goes into that is just actually taking an interest in what's happening in their students' lives, you know, not to a level where it was uncomfortable, like she wanted to know too much about, but she would know what was going on, both positive and negative, not only with me because she was my favorite teacher, but with the whole class. So if someone was having a bad week, she probably knew why and was a little more lenient or showed the student the grace that they needed. The relationship there just made the class as enjoyable for me as it was. Absolutely. Joshua? Yeah, I would say the same thing. I think what Elijah just said was was pretty powerful, the, the student-teacher relationship and understanding that, yes, we go to school for eight hours a day or whatever it may be, but we shouldn't be defined by a student because that's not what we are. And we have bigger goals than uh, Elijah and I in particular. And a lot of folks that we graduated do have bigger goals than just graduating from high school and kind of understanding that and giving us advice on how to get to where we want to be. In education, years ago, we talked about the three R's kind of tongue in cheek, and it was reading, writing, and arithmetic. That three R's really has changed for us to rigor, relevance, and relationship. And we kind of started off talking about relationship. And then Joshua, you immediately went to relevance. And so thinking about the curriculum or the content in regards to how this is going to apply to what I want to do further in life. And so I wonder if you'd kind of talk about, you knew from an early age, you wanted to be a broadcaster, you loved sports. How did teachers, what did they do to make the curriculum relevant? Or what did they not do that you wish they had done? At first, I don't really think it was a a teacher in particular. I think it was just more so the opportunity, and it speaks to going to a public school and having the opportunity to have a journalism class and to get to be a part of the student-run newspaper. And then on top of that, we got to do, you know, video announcements every single week, knowing that I wanted to get into a sports broadcasting career. My broadcasting teacher, my journalism teacher, really made sure she put extra time in to kind of give me pointers and tips and help me find the right schools that I needed to be applied to once I got to be a senior in high school and really helping me look out for my next step. Elijah, you were more, if I would guess I would term it, a, a generalist, not really sure 
while you're in high school necessarily what you might do in the future. But when you think about relevance, did you have you have examples of teachers who are making the curriculum relevant to your life or, or they weren't making it relevant? I would say that I'm probably more so in the majority of high school students in that I didn't know what I wanted to do as a, as a career as a freshman in high school. I would say as far as relevance, the only ones that I can really think of were, would be maybe an AP civics class I took where we would talk about politics and things that were happening in the world. I do think that as a student, for me, one of my biggest drawbacks for classes was being able to tell where I thought things were irrelevant. That was one of the things that would really discourage me. And I don't want to put down math teachers, but I can specifically remember learning about imaginary numbers. I don't want to be a mathematician as a career. So why are all of us learning about fake numbers? And so were you? I think I heard you saying that you did not have the opportunity to give the feedback that you felt like it was irrelevant. Right. And you would have wanted to have that opportunity to give that feedback feedback. Right. I think that curriculums are changing all the time. And you mentioned arithmetic at the beginning of this, and I don't even think we use that word anymore. And it's long gone. And I'm sure things that they used when I was in school are already long gone. So I feel like there probably is a way that it's evolving and becoming more relevant. One thing that I do like about college as opposed to high school and middle school is that we have course evaluations at the end of each semester. And we have a chance to acknowledge where we thought our teachers went wrong and right and just give feedback. And that's one of the things I would have given given feedback if offered the opportunity in high school. Then again, I don't know if we should give high schoolers the chance to give feedback because they are 14 <laughs> years old. Like right. So do they even know what an evaluation is? You know, I don't know. So it's definitely a tricky situation, but I do think that keeping it relevant is essential to keeping students engaged. Do you think you, as a high schooler that you would have wanted to give feedback yeah. like at that moment in your life, or is that something that you got to college realized, oh, wow, there, there are these course evaluations that we do. And after doing a course evaluation, were you then able to apply that question and say, man, I would have liked this in high school? I would say that I'm from a different situation where I grew up with an educator, Mr. Dr. Rob Jackson over here. Very true. So I've been in schools since before I was in school. So <laughs> I've seen teachers and administrators since I can remember. So I think when it comes to my own educational career, I was it was easier for me to identify teachers that didn't care and were, you know, just going through the motions because I've seen so many many teachers and so many administrators. So I think that, yes, I could have given an evaluation, whereas other students, this is just school. You know, this is all I this is all they've ever seen. Our background does help for that. Yeah, exactly. Sure. And and I appreciate you mentioning that, because when you've seen a lot of teachers, when you've seen a lot of administrators, it's, it's easy to pick out who seems to be doing it for the right reasons, who seems to just be going through the motions, as you said, Elijah. You know, we've talked about high school a lot. Let's kind of try to broaden back. As you think about elementary school, for example, and I know that's been some time ago, were there teachers that stood out to you in your memory from elementary school? And if so, why? For me, I think my, my fifth grade teacher stood out to me the most. And, and Mr. Cheatham, and I, I know, Dad, a lot of your followers are certainly aware of the story that our family went through when I was in fifth grade and being diagnosed with cancer. And, and Mr. Cheatham was not only my fifth grade teacher, of course, but also a friend. This happened late in the year. It was April when I was diagnosed and only had, you know, April, May, June, maybe until the end of the year. But every single day was still very much a part of my life, making sure I'd finished up the EOGs that we were taking and that sort of thing. And 
even beyond my leaving elementary school and going on to middle school in fifth grade, Mr. Cheatham remained active in my life and always catching up with me whenever we would see each other in town and that sort of thing. So I think that's the biggest elementary school teacher that comes back to mind. Excellent. Thank you. I would say for me, two come to mind. One would have been my third grade teacher, which would have been at the same time Joshua was just speaking about because they did know about our situation and they knew that I was the brother of the kid who had just gotten diagnosed. And I think my teacher was really good about being sensitive to what our family was going through and just being another one of those teachers, like I mentioned with my English teacher senior year, just being perceptive to where I was emotionally and making sure that I was just going to be in a good spot and ready to go for that day. And I know that can be hard teaching third graders because they're eight. How old are they? I don't know. Um, so, you know, they're, we're kids. We're emotional little kids. And then you add what we were going through and it's, it's hard. Then my, the other teacher I would mention is my fourth grade teacher because I was a talkative kid. No. And that, that wouldn't say I got in trouble, but I was called on a lot. And I think my fourth grade teacher did a good job of not just reprimanding me and like screaming at me, but actually being like, hey, can you be quiet so that we can do this? Right. Or here's why you can't just get up and walk around during class. You know, and actually feeling like I was learning why I was doing things wrong, not just like I was being reprimanded for who knows why. Right. So let's kind of broaden even further out. As you think about classmates, those who you went to school with who today may not seem to be where they might have wanted to be, whether they finished high school or not, or have been successful since high school. As you think about those classmates, we certainly don't want to name anybody, but as you think about those classmates and their experiences from your perception in school, what could an educator have done to help them be just as successful as the two of you you are? I think, and we've said it a lot, but it's all about relationships for these kids. Obviously, we come from a better situation than a lot of people. And I know that a lot of students have a lot of things going on at home and things that are out of their control that make school just like an afterthought for them. I can imagine going to school while also dealing with some things that my classmates were dealing with. But while the onus isn't fully on teachers to basically drag these students through school, I think that I would have liked to have seen more relationship building and knowing, hey, this kid's from like a really tough spot, you know, and he probably needs more help than this student does because I know that they are like more, I can do it by myself. I, like you don't have to pull me through this. But some students, it just feels like, I don't know, they, they obviously need more love and they need a bigger push to get through school. Would you guys agree with that? Yeah, and I think a lot of that goes back to what you were saying earlier, talking about your, your senior English teacher, and it just goes back to the teacher themselves. I think a lot of it goes on the teacher to be comfortable to ask questions and to learn about their student outside of the classroom in order to then apply that to what is being taught in school and that sort of thing. There's no question the power of relationships and the importance of relationships for all students, whether they're going through a lot of struggles or they seem to be very blessed. Our family has been blessed and we acknowledge that and we acknowledge from whom our blessings flow. But we do realize that relationships are incredibly important. The last R we haven't really talked about, and I just want to touch it, touch on it for just a second, and that's the rigor piece. How rigorous was your public school education? Do you feel like it was rigorous enough for you to be successful in what you're doing today, or should it have been more rigorous? Our high school, I know a lot of high schools do it differently, but we had standard classes, honors classes, and then AP. 
with my father being who he is, I took strictly honors classes. I never got to take a standard class. Likewise. Which is which was a fun way to do high school. Mix and then I would mix in several APs. I would say even because of that, it probably was not as rigorous as it could have been for me. And I I find that the biggest thing I had to learn when I got to college was really how to study and how to prepare for exams and quizzes and writing papers and juggling multiple classes at the same time. Because while there might have been a tough AP class for a semester or a year long, there were other classes that weren't as tough and that I didn't really have to think as much about while I took them. I would say the same thing. I think that obviously once you got to college, learning the right ways to study and that sort of thing, when you're by yourself and you don't have mom or dad or whoever or the the teachers and resources that you're comfortable with, while you do have a ton of resources in college, for me in particular, being from the state of North Carolina, going all the way to Auburn, Alabama, not having anybody from my high school go with me, not knowing nobody from the county go to Auburn with me, not really knowing anybody. It took me a while to be comfortable enough to to stand up and say, hey, I need a little bit of extra help on on this and that sort of thing. But going back to the rigor that that you brought up a second ago, Dad, for me, like I had the journalism class in high school. I got to be a part of the student newspaper, as I mentioned, the student TV broadcast. But that was really it. I wasn't really learning anything else other than maybe the English class when it comes to writing, certainly not reading comprehension, that was able to apply to my career. Well, and you know, the interesting piece about the rigor conversation, you guys took higher level courses because you were able to do those. And the interesting piece about rigor is how rigorous do students want it to be? It seems like when you have a teacher who is rigorous, the students rise up to that level of expectation. And so setting those expectations high becomes extremely important. Elijah, you mentioned something, and I was thinking about it with your experience, Joshua, and that is that learning how to learn. I don't know that in my career as an educator, I've done a good job either as a teacher teaching or as an administrator encouraging, actually teaching how to learn. Joshua, you had the opportunity to take a class your freshman year, I believe your first semester, on essentially study skills. Was that helpful to you as you went through college? Yeah, I would say so. It's called the Auburn Experience, and as you said, it was not only just in the classroom. What I also liked about it was just, hey, let's, let's kind of talk about, it was very conversational, a dialogue back and forth with the professor. And it was like, hey, let's talk about how you can be successful in college in the social aspect, but then also spend a lot of time on what is it going to take academically to make sure you're successful going to class, making sure you're putting the time in to review your notes and, and, and learning how to study and that sort of thing. Excellent. Right. I would add that each student has to learn how they can be successful. And you touched on that, JJ, but there's not a secret formula and people know there's not a secret way that everyone has to study the same way. And that's how people be successful. Like students have to figure out what works for them and what kind of studying. And that's what I think I had to learn when I got to college was how I could study to best be successful, because that might not look the same as how my roommate studies or how my other friends studies, because everybody's different. Everybody takes an in information differently. And dad, I wanted to touch on, you mentioned that a rigorous teacher raises the level of expectation. And I hate to come keep coming back to relationships, but that would be true, except I think in the case where they're just being rigorous for the sake of being rigorous. Like sure. if I could imagine, and this isn't a specific example, but just like an AP calculus class and they're like, here's a hundred problems for homework. The students aren't just going to rise because it's a rigorous class. Whereas if it's a teacher that they feel like I am learning from them and I want to do well for this teacher and for myself, I think that's where the ex- or where the levels rise is when they're motivated. They're not just going to succeed for the sake of the class being rigorous. Absolutely. And, you know, and you really kind of perfectly highlighted one of the things that we talk about in education, which is
which is rigor isn't just doing in math more math problems. Mm -hmm. That's not rigorous. That's just making life hard for someone. Rigorous is pushing my thinking and helping me do something that I didn't think I was able to do because you've guided me along the way. And so it really ties right back to kind of where we started, which is the three R's. All three are important. Relationships, rigor, and relevance. When we have a great relationship with our teacher, when the curriculum is rigorous, and when I really believe that it's going to impact my life, whether that's get me to where I want to be or help me enjoy my life more in this moment, that's where the magic happens. Well, guys, this has been absolutely awesome for me and hopefully for our listeners as well. I very much appreciate you. If you'd like to catch up with the guys, you can find Joshua on Twitter and Instagram at Josh L. Jackson 10. You can also find his daily radio show and podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Sports Call AU. If you'd like to see what Elijah's up to, you'll find him on Twitter at Elijah30Jackson and on Instagram at not Elijah Jackson. Thanks again, guys. I'm certainly very proud of you both. Love you very much. Love you, Dad. As I think about the conversation I just had with the boys, it strikes me that when I ask them about what worked so well for them in their K-12 education, they immediately went to relationships. Shortly after that, Joshua began to talk about relevance. Relationships, relevance, and rigor. To see it naturally come about in that conversation reminds me of the power of the three R's, relationships, relevance, and rigor. The three R's really began to be talked about in the early 2000s. I remember way back when as an elementary principal, when I first heard someone talking about the three R's and we began to embrace it and it grew really big and we heard it many times in conferences and read about it in various uh, newsletters and articles. And then as quickly as it appeared, it began to disappear. Education seems to make cliches out of great ideas. And eventually we get tired of saying the thing we've been saying and we move on to the newest, latest, greatest thing, looking for a silver bullet. And so the three R's, relationships, relevance, and rigor, aren't talked about as much. But I wonder if we shouldn't be talking about it more, particularly this concept concept of relationships. As we begin the conversation around ACEs, adverse childhood experiences, and understanding what those do to children as they're living through those experiences, that's really getting at relationships, isn't it? It's really asking the question, what's going on in my students' life? How can I help them be successful? Whether that's giving them the strategies to be resilient and overcome adversity that might be in their life, or helping them see the reason for moving forward. Forward. Relationships, relevance, and rigor. I certainly think it's worth more of our time and more of our thinking. Speaking of thinking, thank you for thinking with me today. I'd love to know what you think about this concept of relationships, rigor, and relevance, and whether or not it needs to return to an active part of our ongoing conversation. Certainly love to hear your comments through our Twitter account or Instagram. Both are at EdLeaderPod or on the show page. You'll find that at www.drrobjackson.com. Thank you for spending time with me today. You are making a difference. Thank you for listening to the Ad Leader Podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast and consider leaving a review with five stars on Apple Podcasts so that we may continue to grow the Ad Leader community. We hope that you have enjoyed your time with Dr. Jackson. 
Until next time.